I'd like you to open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. It's been a couple of weeks, I guess, since we have uh, talked about deliverance, but we're in a series and doing some teachings on deliverance. Before I begin, I know most of you are familiar with the book rack out there, but there are a couple of books here that every home would be benefited by having it because how many times have you run into a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or maybe a Christian Science, a Seventh-day Adventist, or maybe one you haven't heard of or read about in a book and you wonder what they believe or how do they come to that? And there's a book called Every Wind of Doctrine, but it doesn't cover them all because there's new ones every day. This is really a good reference to have in the home if your children want to know what somebody believes, just tell them to go right to it. And the book Angels of Light is another really good book that you should familiarize yourself because we're talking about in the study about that, about angels of light, the appearance of good, but behind that is evil. Things that will mislead you and deter you or detour you from your loyalty to Christ. And you're living in a time which is never more prevalent than as I'm speaking tonight the more and more people are trading in the truth for something that's more comfortable, something that has more for the children, and something that is more socially acceptable than just some old gospel meeting somewhere. It's the time that we're in, it's the age that we're in, and this is the warning that we have from Scripture, not only for this age, but for every age since this was recorded. And in verse 11, 2 Corinthians 2, he said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, his methods, his wiles, the way he does things to seduce and deceive people. He's a master and he's crafty at doing this, the Bible tells us. And we are told that we're not to be ignorant, that is untaught. And yet, when you begin to teach on some of these things, people are really... And I know you are, and maybe it's hard for you to understand what I keep saying all the time about this, but these things are so difficult for people to receive because it seems like we're being unloving and judgmental towards other Christians who really don't care what they believe as long as there's a lot of people in that belief system and they use the Bible. And where they're going and what's going to happen, they really don't know, but it's better than nothing. And I think one of the devices of Satan, as we'll get to tonight, are religious spirits. They mislead and they deceive and they distort and they pervert the gospel. And an untaught person can't identify that. They don't know in what way it is perverted or how has the gospel been distorted. In what way am I being misled or deceived? Again, a lot of people don't ask that question. They hear you say that. But there seems to be a wall between them and the truth, and they just can't get it. Or they have loved ones or a family or brothers or sisters in another group. Maybe they're Jehovah's Witnesses. And they read or they hear you say something about that being a cult and being fostered by a religious spirit that is misleading. And they're bothered by that, and they're troubled by that, and they don't want to hear about that because they just don't think that that's the way it is. We've been talking the last couple times before this one about the occult. And before that, we talked about believer's authority, that we are equipped. We have been given weapons to fight wars in this world with. Our adversary is not people. It's not terrorists in the Middle East. Our adversary is the devil. 
Not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. That's what we're fighting. The thing that is behind things that go wrong. The thing that promotes everything differently than the way God wants it is demonic. It's the devil. For example, if you say that there is a way that seemeth right unto man, that is a way that has all the components of Christianity. They read the Bible. They baptize. They do street work or mission work. They give. They help. They have church every week. You know, they're accepted in the community. It's a way that seems right unto man. Now, there's so many different kinds of religions, so many different kinds of churches that nobody would dare say we're divided. But we are. We're greatly divided. But here's the truth that is very difficult for the average church member to deal with. This is Proverbs 14 and 16. There is a way that seemeth right unto man. But in the end, it's a way of death. Now, that's demonic. I said, that's demonic. While it appears to be right, and a lot of people embrace it, ultimately, it leads to death. Not life. Death. And, and we're told in the last days, there'll be seducing spirits and doctrines of demons in these kind of situations. And people really turn that off. They tune that out because everybody couldn't be wrong. I mean, the world couldn't be wrong. Well, not everybody in the world is wrong. Jesus said a few will make it. But he didn't say there'd be multitudes. He said there'd be a few. Many will seek but not be able, he said. Well, what if somebody said, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light? Because, see, that would mean this. If what they're preaching is not what the Bible says exactly, but they have a version of it or an interpretation of it that's more suitable, then they're walking in darkness. And who would want to accuse anybody in any church anywhere of being in darkness? We're so afraid of being judgmental. We're so afraid of persecution from other people. We're so afraid of being socially separated from the world that we don't want to call attention to anything that we know is wrong. We just say, well, no, nobody's perfect, and so we just let things be. We do that with our children. Well, you know, nobody, you know and we, just, we let things go. And the world creeps into our lives, the world creeps into our homes, it creeps into our children, it creeps into the church. We begin to modify our beliefs, we begin to do things differently than the Bible says, but, you know, after all, and, you know, God knows. That's what he said to Eve. Hath God said, I mean, do you really have to do it that way? I mean, is it so necessary that you all get so wrapped up in doctrine? I mean, is God so narrow that if you don't walk that way, you're going to die? Come on. And see, that's the way people are lured away from the truth to a sense of a way that seems right. You want to walk right, but you're really not walking right. But, you know, I mean, nobody can, you're told. And consequently, there's a multitude of people in the last days, and we're in it, that are being misled by watered-down Christianity that seems right unto man because everybody likes it, and there's a lot of fun and joy. They give a lot of money, go a lot of places. But it's a way of death. And to say that, you set yourself up for misunderstanding, and church gets quiet, and everybody gets bothered by that. You remember what we said the last couple of Sundays. What about if they bring not the doctrine of Christ? What if anybody comes to you and they bring not the doctrine of Christ? The Bible said, don't even bid them God's speed. Don't even say, have a good day. Lord bless you. They don't even say that. 
If a cult, a Jehovah's Witness came to your door, always nice people, very kind, or the two Mormon boys on the bike, if they stopped you on the street and they were very zealous about sharing with you about that, would you tell them, I really don't want to hear it, I don't believe what you say or what you stand for, and want nothing to do with it? Then would you say, Lord bless you? Well, I wouldn't say that. I feel like saying that. Every decent thing in me wants to be nice. But there comes a time when I have to lay myself on his altar and live on his terms. And if he said don't do that, then I have to live with how I feel and overcome it. It's just the way it is. But he said, if they bring not this doctrine, have nothing to do with them. Well, what about most Christian churches, most churches that are based on Christianity that have a form of godliness, but they all deny the power of it? They will walk out if you preach on divine healing or casting out demons. They will leave you in a minute because they don't believe that stuff. Well, what are you supposed to do about it? From such, withdraw thyself. You know how that feels. Like I said, most of us have been raised properly to be nice and kind and thoughtful and, and so forth. We have to stand with God against the whole religious systems of this world and knowing that they're going to attack you before it's over. Our pressure in the last days is not so much the government. It'll do its share. But it's going to come from Christians, from so-called Christians, from religious institutions. And they're the ones that are going to say the most about you. In fact, I believe when the rapture comes, not many people will know it. And when somebody says, well, what happened to that bunch over there? They'll say, I don't know, but good riddance. They wouldn't help us in the blood drive. They don't vote. They don't sign petitions. I don't know what kind of people they are. They never ask why we believe these things. We just tell them that we can't do that, and we didn't do that. And I think if you please the Lord with this life, when the Lord comes, he'll look for you. He really won't look for you because he knows where you are. The government wants to do that, but God only knows where you are at all times. So we want to talk tonight about different kinds of demonic activity or identifying demonic activity so you can either deal with it or avoid it. Such things as, well, spirits of religion, religious spirits, or infirm spirits, spirits of infirmity. You're talking about virgin territory here for a lot of people. Bible has much, much, much to say about it. But people are not used to hearing what the Bible says. Political spirits. People have traded today the loyalty to God, devotion to God, and added to that country. Devotion to God and country. You know, God, guns, and guts made America. And the Constitution is almost as inspired, some say, as the Bible is. Those are spirits. They creep into the church. They got American flags in the church standing next to a Christian flag. I was in a church once where I was surrounded by flags. And they're all saluting one, and I wouldn't even look at it. I didn't get to go back. But there are just times we all get a chance to take a stand, to sign a petition, or to salute a flag when a congregation is watching whether you do or not. And then they salute the church flag. I don't know what the mantra is for the church flag. I don't know what to say, but that's the kind of devotion that comes into the church. These are spirits. These are religious spirits. And we want to talk about those religious spirits tonight. These are the workings of demons, evil spirits, 
unclean, unholy spirits that promote division amongst Christians. Now, they promote division amongst Christians through man-made systems, denominations, man-made systems of worship. Let me stop in the middle of this definition. Isn't it true that when you have a Methodist, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, a church of this, a church of that, ecclesiastical church like Catholics, liturgical systems like the Catholics and the other one I can't remember, isn't it true that we have divided up his body? that some would never go into one of the other places because they don't believe that way. But are we not told by the socially do-gooders that, you know, it really is not so much where you go to church. It's not so much how they do things. What really matters is how you feel about Jesus and how your heart is towards him. And who's to say who's right and who's wrong? Well, we can say who's right and who's wrong. Now, we get punished for it because you're not supposed to do that. Remember, there's two verses in the Bible that everybody knows. And one of them is judge not. We are given this book for guidance, not only as a revelation of Jesus Christ, but also to show us how he wants us to live. And he puts these things in the Bible. They become tests of our loyalty. We get a chance to hear the truth, and we get a chance to prove that we're going to live by that truth at the expense of your popularity or your acceptance in the community or other things. But these are workings of demons that promote division amongst Christians through man-made systems, personal uniqueness like super spiritual people, and through religious witchcraft. And all of this is the work of spirits. Again, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. That's because of demonic activity. There is a way that seems right unto man, but it's not the way of God and it leads to death. That's demonic. That's not inspired of God. If it's not inspired of God, there's only two, isn't there? It's God or. And there's only one other source. It's the devil. And the devil has agents, these agents that do his bidding. Like the angels do the bidding of God, there are demons, fallen angels, that do the bidding of Satan. These are entities, spirits. They can occupy people. They can get inside of people, and they do all the time. There can be numerous demonic presence in people. Demons have spoken in the Bible. Demons speak through people. Jesus cast demons out of people. Some of them had multiple demons, multiple personalities. That's demonic. Multiple personalities are seen in the community churches. Those are multiple personalities. That's demonic too. Are we saying all these people are bad people? I never said that. A lot of good people are being misled. But a lot of good people who could be made right don't want to hear it. They don't want to change the system. I'm going to promise you something. I guarantee you. One system on this earth that will never change. Well, there's two. I'll just mention one. It's Catholicism. It never will change because it has a foothold throughout this whole world. Now, what are these man-made systems? Well, let's start with the cults tonight. Would a cult be a religious system? All cults use scripture. All of them have a meeting. They might even call it church. I don't know what the Mormons call every meeting they have, but they know what we say, and so they say church to acquaint themselves with us or find themselves in agreement with us so they can lead us their way. 
But all the cults that use the Bible to have their meetings, and they use the Bible in trying to convert you so that you think, well, they quote the Bible, it must be all right. <laughs> but upon closer examination, as like in these books, Every Wind of Doctrine, you'll find that they deny various essential beliefs about Jesus Christ and doctrines that concern him. They deny maybe his virgin birth, that he was not born of a virgin, or that Jesus was not physically raised from the dead. They do not believe his resurrection or that the Bible is not divinely inspired. I mean, the Mormons have books too. They say their books are just as inspired as the Bible is. They say the Bible has mistakes in it. They know theirs may have a mistake or two, but they know they say the scripture has mistakes in it too. So no book is perfect. And they believe that in the book of Mormon or the Pearl of Great Price or, the, or their other book, they think that they're just as good as anything else. And again, these people know more about what we're supposed to believe than we do. And so they're able to out-scripture quote the average Christian. In fact, I've been told like 80% of all people in the cults came out of Christian circles because somebody out-quoted them or out-maneuvered them with scripture. And so they fell for it. They said, well, these are good people. And, you know, the Mormons are really big on the family and fathering and they're big on missions and big on basketball. I mean, you know, that's got to be good if they do all that. Big on sports and the government. You know, we've had government leaders who were Mormons running for office and so forth. But they all depart somewhere from essential Christian doctrines. Now, if they depart, say, from the virgin birth, then we're back to that second John, two John verses nine and 10, that if they bring not this doctrine, do not bid them Godspeed. Because if you let them into your life and they get in your hard drive, in your mind and think and become friends of, of yours, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. You know what God said to the Israelites when he led them into the promised land? He said, drive out everybody in this land. Spare nobody, not babies, not mamas, daddies. Get all of them have to go. Because if you leave any of them here, they'll corrupt you. And there was just that one little tribe. Remember that one little tribe that disguised themselves and they deceived Joshua and they allowed them to stay. Then they learned later they were deceived. It took just a few hundred years for the whole nation to become so corrupt that God had to deal with them even more so than he did with the people that were there before, the Hittites and the Habites and all the ites and icks and ticks. A little leaven. The Bible says just a little influence from the devil, just a little bit. All you need is a little bit to start with. You start there and you'll start caving in a little more and a little bit more. You'll start losing a little interest, a little bit more interest. You'll start losing interest in being and doing and going. And the reason that you will do that it's because there's a working of a spirit. A religious spirit always brings a spirit that divides or separates you from God, always. Religious spirits have a design of division, making us to differ with each other, making us not to be in agreement with each other about things, and then teaching us to compromise what we're supposed to believe for the sake of a, well, spiritual unity, they call it in the world. The ecclesiastical group in town wants to get together with the, all the different groups to show the community that we're in harmony with each other. We're not even close to being in harmony with each other. I've avoided that all my life, and you know he's distant, hard to get along with, won't return calls. Well, I don't, and I am. Now, let me sh share with you how this would sound 
on one of those space things in, in the ratty-tat world, in the computer world. If you want to fellowship with me, you'll have to agree with Jesus. Wow, how narrow are you worse than that? Like somebody said years ago, he could look through a keyhole with both eyes open. He's so narrow. You see, that's unacceptable to social people. That's unacceptable to people who don't want to be persecuted or looked down upon by others. There's so much of God that as a church we're willing to compromise, and the spirit behind all of this that promotes this is religious spirit, our religious spirits. They're the ones that want you to compromise your beliefs. Hey, to be your own person. You don't have to depend on somebody to teach you the Bible. God said he'd give you everything you need. You don't need to go to church. And so this is a religious spirit that when it works in you, it separates you from essential things that you need in this world with the Lord, things in God's world. And you begin to take for granted spiritual things. And again, you begin to lose interest. You begin to fold your arms. You used to be pretty zealous, and now you find that you're not. And if somebody told you, it's probably because you become pretty well acquainted and buddy-buddy with people that aren't Christian or in other churches that you can't give your testimony around because it would be offensive to them. Well, you're selling out. You would never think that that's the reason you're not as zealous this year as you were last year. It's demonic activity. We can't accept that, but it's true. It is absolutely true. It happens. Because religious spirits are constantly busy. You know, the ones that want you to do it my way. If you want to go to heaven, you have to do this or do that. You have to go to our church, listen to our preacher. If you're not baptized, unless you're baptized in our church, you've got to speak in tongues. You've got to have the faith message. You've got to believe in divine healing. If you don't believe in that, you're out. I knew a man once. He's locked up now. But he was a scripture man in another state. So you got a 50 to one shot of finding out which one it is. And it wasn't Kentucky, so you got one down. This guy sent me an article, or he wrote a little, like a newspaper, like an article. And he sent it to me to peruse and look at and study. And uh, it's all about divine healing. But in there, he mentioned in his own way, he said that unless you trust God for your healing, you forfeit your salvation, you can't go to heaven. Well, there's a lot of people that went to heaven and have already gone to heaven who didn't even know about healing. And so I got suspicious about that. Next thing you know, he writes a book. It's about that thick and sent me a whole box of them. Cost quite a bit to publish a book like that. And then right after I got the books, he was arrested for child molestation. So the books went down to Wadiable, threw them in the can down there. I don't want that stuff in here. I don't care how much he quotes scripture. The spirit behind his book is not the spirit of God. I don't want that around. I wouldn't share it with anybody here, give it to anybody here. But these are the kind of people that religious spirits can use. They get off in fringes. They take off on one that you have to speak in tongues. I remember in our faith camp and the movement here, there were people who failed in all the relationship verses that they're supposed to believe, but boy, they had all the faith stuff down and they were so quick to point their finger. This one doesn't do that and you're not doing that. And in your church, I saw this and saw that. And they never stopped to think that none of this kind of behavior is the way God wants us to treat anybody. Oh, they could get the scripture right. They had the five principles of faith down pat. They never read Romans 14, 22. 
Hast thou faith? Have it before God. Blessed is a man that does not condemn himself and what he allows. They never read that because that takes away all the fun, I suppose. But these are religious spirits. They divide. They separate people. Now, I believe it's separation. I hope you all do. We're to come out from among them and what? Be you separate. If they speak not according to this word, then behind whatever I'm hearing, that's not according to what the Bible said, is a spirit, a religious spirit. And I just come away from it. I don't try to change them. I don't write notes to the editor or stuff like that. Just let them be, unless they're in the church or there's somebody you know and you're really concerned about. But these religious spirits become very pushy. They become very demanding. They make you uncomfortable when you're around these kind of people. You can't get a word in edgewise without being corrected by them on what you said or how much that's not right or how much that is wrong. And instead of doing good for the kingdom, they do bad. They do evil. Take denominations. I grew up in denominations. My daddy was a Catholic. My mother's a Christian church. So having a background of denominational involvement, I never knew anything about what we believed. I think the dictionary said, the disciples of Christ, we have no creed but the Bible. Yes. Well, I would agree with that. We have no creed here but the Bible. It's what we're confessing. We have no beliefs that we've concocted that we are following. We are saying what we believe is what the Bible teaches. This is our book for life, and this is the way we're supposed to walk. Well, that's what the Christian church says. That's what they said in the definition of the disciples of Christ. But in their earliest history, you know, they broke away from the Presbyterians and the old camp meetings where they started, and they began to major on water baptism. If you're not baptized in water, that became like a little mantra. You know, have you been baptized in water? Everything is water regeneration, I guess. Until you get wet, you're lost. Doesn't matter if you repent. They say, oh, you got to repent, but you got to be baptized. Now, let me say this about water baptism. I believe in being water baptized. I can't find anywhere in the New Testament that people got saved or born again without being water baptized. So I'm for it. I'm for it. I do not believe that water has any power to wash away your sins. Water is symbolic of a burial. You're buried, you're dunked, covered in water. It's tough to do that if you sprinkle. But you are buried in water. You go under, and you're raised up out of that watery grave, your sins are washed away. That's what it typifies. But there are folks who just insist and demand that unless you do that, you have no hope in this world of going to heaven. And again, I don't want to say that I don't agree with most of that. I'm just saying there are some instances where it just wasn't possible. The thief on the cross. I believe he made it to heaven. I do. I'm sure there's been other people in other countries who have, in the end of their life, like that man did, have gotten their hearts and lives right with the Lord. In fact, some of us, that's all we can hold on to about our parents or our grandparents that we believe that in that last time that they made it right with the Lord. I remember the night my brother died. He died late that night after I left or early the next morning. One, I was holding his hand. Now, he was in a coma, but I was talking to him. I said, your spirit's still alive. Your body is shutting down. I knew this was happening, and, and it was a very emotional moment for me at the time. And I said, I really hope we meet again. I said, but if you never gave your life to Jesus, brother, we won't meet again. I hope you did. I wish you well on your journey. 
I don't know where you're going, but I hope it's not to where you don't want to go. And I don't know where he went. I don't know. I can't say there was ever a time that there was a spiritual exuberance or joy in his life and that we could share the same thing we had in common. He was always uncomfortable talking about it. As most people are in churches, when you start talking about Jesus, the one thing that should be the focus and the joy of our life, people just don't want to talk about it. I think it's because they don't know him, but they're so used to not knowing him and around so many people that don't, and the church really doesn't teach the people. They just preach sermons. That's what they're hired to do. They preach sermons, and everybody is happy they're in a sermon-preaching church. We're a fundamental Bible-believing church, but people don't know much about it. And when you start teaching those people so they can have some information, they would rather be without knowledge. There's something spiritual about all of this, and you know this is true. There's a spirit that works tapping on your headpiece while you're hearing all this, challenging you. You know what's going to happen to you if you believe all of this? Man, oh, man, what's going on? what would your father-in-law think? What would your mother-in-law What would your daddy think? What would your mom think? What do you think your buddies at school would think? I've been through all this, all of it, exactly like that. By these decisions you're making, you're separating yourself from your whole family. Oh, my brother came over Christmas bringing these prayers. Hey, brother, Merry Christmas, all that stuff. And he set them all down. I said, man, I said, we don't even do this anymore. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. And I knew what he was thinking when he went home. Man, my brother has gotten really deep into something bad. What Christian would not do Christmas? Everybody does Christmas. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? Well, I don't know if it is or not really. Well, I do know. But some of these groups are big on debate, like the Church of Christ. Big on not only water baptism, but they're big on debating, arguing the gospel. That's not what we're called to do, but that's what they do. You know, or the Baptists are big on, on one save, always save, eternal security. And that is a true and right subject. Because all elect believers are eternally secure. And that those that the Father gave to the Son, they will not perish. Now, they don't know that. They have to make that calling and election sure because the just shall live faithfully before God. We don't take anything for granted. We say, I've got to live by faith. But if you get that wrong, somebody says, well, look, if you raise your hand, you're going to heaven. My old car buddy, remember my car buddy said, if I die drunk in the arms of a bad woman, I'm going to heaven. Somebody told him that. And that was comfortable because it's easy. Nothing's required of you now to go to heaven. You just get up every day and do what you always did and everything is fine. That's a spirit. That's a religious spirit bringing misinformation to separate you from God. And on judgment day, God will have to judge you because he's a righteous judge. He doesn't turn his head when his people do wrong. He chastens us so we won't do wrong. But if you insist on doing wrong, well, he'll let you do it. How about Catholic doctrine? We talk about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses or others. What about Catholicism? You ever wonder what Catholicism is all about? It's about the mass. Mass. If you put Christ in front of that, you know where the holiday came from. And that's exactly where it came from. Mass is central in the Catholic religion. And what the mass is, is a crucifixion of Jesus. Again, it puts Jesus to death again. He is not only the priest, but he's the victim. 
and he is crucified daily on the behalf of sinners. That's what it is. And the priest, during the Catholic ceremony, he, I don't know where they buy these little things, these little round wafers like that. They're called host. And they put these wafers in a little cup. I forget what the thing's called now, but they go through this ceremony. And what they say they are doing is a doctrine called transubstantiation, that the Catholic priest is turning that wafer into the literal body, flesh of Christ. So that when those come forward for the communion, at one point in there, I remember watching, he'd hold up this little host and actually worship the thing because it is his body. It's Jesus. He's been sacrificed all over again. And so then the people come forward and the little altar boy holds a little thing under their chin and he reaches in here and receives the body of Christ. They stick their tongue out. He lays it on their tongue and they got Jesus every day. In fact, about 250,000 times a day in the world, Jesus is crucified again. And the Catholic cross, you will rarely ever see a Catholic cross or a cross in a Catholic church in which some figure, they say, is Jesus hanging on it. He's still there. He hasn't risen from the dead yet. Oh, they would say he has, but they crucify him every day. Let me show you something. Turn to Romans 6 and verse 10. Now, you would think that in their version of the Bible, called the Dalway version, that the Catholics could see this. Now, I know they have a definition or a way to explain this, but this, what it says here, is clean, is clear. I mean, it's plain. Romans 6 and verse 10, For in that he died, he died unto sin once. Does your Bible say that? Or how many times did Jesus have to die? For what? For sin. It didn't take two deaths, one death for sin. It's sufficient to save the whole world is the death of Christ. It will only be effective for those who are called elect, but it's sufficient for whosoever will that wants to come. Look also in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7 and verse 27, if you will. You may know a Catholic someday who may tell you about the Mass and, oh, I just get so blessed at the Mass. Well, I don't think they realize what's going on as far as what the Bible says about what Jesus did when Jesus died. He died once. But you can't have him dying 250,000 times a day all over the world. Look at verse 27. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, this is the priest, and then for the people, for this he did once when he offered up himself, once, O-N-C-E, once. Chapter 9 and verse 12. Turn the page, chapter 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place. How many times? Once. Verse 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, if he has sacrificed every meeting, and this becomes the central theme and the focal point of your church, they call it a mass. 
this is inspired not only by religion, but by religious spirits. It's demonic. Now, people say, oh, I get so close to God during this. Well, I'm sure you did. You got close to something. But when you take scripture out of this, when you deny what the Bible says for the sake of your tradition or what your forefathers gave you, which is not in the Bible, you're being deceived. Look at verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Christ was how many times offered? Once. First Peter chapter 3. We'll skip chapter 10 and verse 10. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. You're familiar with this verse too. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Now, he already has. That's already done. If you keep trying to get this to work, then you have never believed what he said first time. He doesn't have to be sacrificed over and over and over again. So then how did such a religion become such a worldwide force? Maybe the biggest Christian religion in the world. Almost all Latino countries, all the Latin American countries are Catholic. Who else besides Catholic have all of these shrines all over the world? In Lourdes of France or Our Lady of Lourdes or in Medjugorje and then down in Mexico and some of these other countries, somebody saw a face on a wall and they come and worship this stuff. Very superstitious because there's spirits behind this or their devotion to Mary, Mariology. Catholic theology says that Mary is co-redeemer, co-redemptrix, they call it, that she is a co-redeemer with Jesus, that she, along with Jesus, brought redemption to mankind. After all, she's his mother. Why wouldn't you pray to Mary? Hail Mary, full of grace, they say, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Then they say, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Did you know that God had a mother? Huh. Well, the human Jesus, the man Jesus had a mother. God didn't need one because he always was in the beginning God. But she has been exalted to a place to where a whole lot of Catholic religion becomes matriarchal. Even the Pope. Now, the Pope before him were big on Mary worship honoring Mary in all the different ways and the, the pilgrimages to these various shrines to honor her and worship her. After all, she was the mother of Jesus and so forth. But these are the kind of religious spirits that divide the church in different names. There's the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Church of God and the Pentecostals and, and all these different groups. And they all try to meet together for a social show in the flesh. To show everybody how loving Christianity is and we get along so much. People I've heard have left charismatic churches. I won't go through the whole story. Gone to other churches and discovered that everybody there is so loving. Man, over our other church, we were always just kind of always something to deal with. And somebody kind of urging you, oh, man. But said, now I go to this other church and people are so loving. One fellow that I know told another fellow that I know. And the one fellow said, how loving will they be when you prophesy Sunday morning? 
Tony told my buddy, he said, what are you going to do when you have to speak in tongues? You go outside in the car lot and get between two cars down by the tires and then, then come back into church? Or do you give it up? You begin to lay it down for the sake of what, unity? Or do you just sell out to that religious system and call it love? Because that's the way people think today. A lot of people, I hope you're not, but a lot of people are afraid, do not have the courage to walk with Jesus. I mean, when God told Joshua, be very courageous more than once, it takes something from heaven for us to be strong enough to walk this way. Because look how many people forsake it. Why did the rich man turn back? Because the message from Jesus was about money and about giving. Oh, I worked too hard to get all this. Or the man in the sower and the seed, why did he give up the faith? Because of persecution. Persecution because of the word. Live it. Get a chance to testify to what you believe and share with other people what you believe. And you'll find out how people feel about you and how loving they are towards you. They'll usher you to the door. I was in a loving church once. They were so nice, and I got ushered out. Or ask to leave. See, we're all right as long as you don't disagree with us. Biggest church in this state one time said on the radio, I heard it. These are not the exact words. If you want to speak in tongues, that's fine. Just don't do it here. And if you said, can you imagine holding your hand up with two, three, four, five, six, ten thousand people in the audience? Bring me a mic. Yes. Uh, preacher, what are you going to do about the fact that Paul said, I speak in tongues more than y'all? What about when he said, he that speaketh in the tongue speaketh not unto men. We're not talking about a gift. We're talking about a prayer language. He that speaketh in the tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Howbeit in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Shouldn't we have that accessible? Tell me, shouldn't we do that? Well, just don't do it here. You know what it says? If they have a form and they deny the power of it, catch a hat. See, people don't wear hats like they used to. Well, it used to be when a man came in a room, he took his hat off. Now they wear them to church just about. He took his hat off and he put it on a hanger somewhere. So when somebody catch a hat, it means you go over and get your hat back because that means you're going to leave. Another thing about these religious spirits, not only about the denominations, how about super spiritual people? Now, I don't want to preach too long about this. But there are those in the church whom the devil uses to attract attention to themselves by being uniquely different than everybody else. They can become obnoxious. They can be embarrassing. They do things compulsively because the one thing they have that they feel like puts them over the hump of being just ordinary. They have this special relationship with God where God always tells them what to do. Well, God told me to eat cereal this morning. Well, God told me just to brush the left side of my mouth this morning. Now, I'm overdoing all of this because nobody here would be offended by that. It's funny. But there are people who can't function well without them being able to say, well, the Lord showed me this, the Lord told me this, and the Lord does show us things, and the Lord does tell us things. But some people can't get up and go without this sense of the Lord told me or the Lord showed me. Or they're always talking about what the Lord showed them, or they pray real loud when they pray. There's this show in the flesh. It's a religious spirit. It's a spirit that sets you up 
to cause people to leave you alone and turn away from you. You don't have a uniting influence with the way you operate. In fact, you separate people. That's what the devil does. I remember one time at a camp down in Georgia many years ago. What do they call them camps? Tennessee, Georgia camp, CFO. This one kid got on the stage and waited till he got up there and everybody there, I just want to praise God that I'm healed. And took his glasses off and threw them against the wall. And I remember one of them stomped on them and walked off. And everybody was cheering. Whoever I was with, I said, he'll be looking for them in the morning. Because the first time he runs into a wall or he says, hi, Miss Jones, and it was Mr. Jones. <laughs> then he begins to be embarrassed and singled out for attack because God may let that go on for a while. And just see how much, he won't let you have too much, but he'll let you see just how much you want to walk out. And the first time he can't go anywhere, somebody has to take him and drive his car. And somebody says, look, why should the rest of us have to drive you around? You go get some glass, you can drive yourself around. When God heals your eyes, you don't need us to drive you anymore. Why don't you do that? You're becoming a burden to us. Oh, the Lord told me. At some point, you might say, I don't believe that. I don't believe the Lord told you that now he's offended. He wants to go to another church and talk about you. That's the devil. That's the way it works. Anytime you feel like that you have to demonstrate your faith in front of a bunch of people to show them that you have faith, you need to stop and rethink about what you're going to do. I'm not saying God wouldn't get you in the right place to do something. But if he does it, somebody's going to get blessed. But when you do it because you want recognition or be admired for your deepness, you'll find that people really avoid you. They don't want to be around you. I've seen people, known people that come to church on Sunday morning and prophesy and then sin during the week. One man always had some message, some way of operating on Sunday morning. And then... I get these calls every now and then from the guys that worked with him. He wouldn't pay them. He didn't have the money, he said, but he had enough money to do this and do that. And I finally had to say, look, you know, I'm getting these calls. What you do in your business is your business. It's not my business as a pastor to tell anybody how to live or to get involved in all this stuff. But when it becomes an issue in the church and it's affecting the way people respond to you or reject you or the rumor mill gets cranked up, then I have to say something to you about it. And I don't know what you're doing, but you need to do something about this. And then I told you the other day, it wasn't long after this, I didn't have to do anything else about it because he got caught exposing himself down at a city in America. These are spirits. These are demonic spirits. Yes, you can prophesy. Yes, you can preach. How many preachers preach not for the sake of winning souls to Christ, not for the sake of advancing people spiritually and feeding them manna from heaven. How many men preach so that they can be recognized and, and exalted and praised so they can write a book, get on TV, or a bigger church? That's demonic. It's devilish. It's using God's people to advance yourself. You read about it in Jeremiah all the time. He said, you're fleecing the sheep. You're saying things for the purpose of getting money. That's demonic. And it happens in religious circles because it's easy to get money out of Christians until they get enlightened. Well, I mean, it's not hard to get them to give the Lord then, but, you know, you can go into a Christian congregation and put a picture of an orphanage here, and I can make up stories because you don't know if I'm telling the truth or not. You ain't been there. 
but I could start telling you stories. I could make up stories. Like a guy I once knew, well, he's gone now. He's gone to his reward. I don't know if he's a good one. But he took another missionary's picture and had over the children's home, he put his own little plaque over it. You know, you can do that with photographs and stuff if you know who to go to and how to do that. And he put his own missionary name over that and imposed his picture there with him. And when he went to a church and started talking about missionary support and gave him the story, and I see this little fellow right here, his mom and daddy, you know, and it's a demon. And people gave bukus or lots because they cared about those babies and those little kids. They had good hearts. But they were being fleeced because then he got exposed. Another missionary saw his picture, that it was his picture, and exposed the guy. Out in Montana once, I was speaking in a place called Bell Creek, Montana. I tried to tell the people I was staying with because they were his big fans. And I said, do you know about this guy, about what he did? And you know what they said? We don't believe that. He wouldn't do that. I said, he did. And I just about had to go back to Wyoming because <laughs> Bell Creek was close to the border. And I just about had to do my business over the border and get out of there, get my feet going. They didn't want to believe it. I have found in my lifetime, in my experience, it's difficult to teach religious spirits. It's very difficult to convert Catholics. It's easy to get them to come forward. They're used to coming forward. If you've ever been into a Latino country and you get through preaching, you say, well, if anybody needs anything, we're going to pray. And they all come. They all come. Everybody comes. If you preach tonight, they'll all be back. You preach again, they'll all be back because they want somebody to lay hands on because that's the way the priest does. And they think there's some kind of mystical blessing in just the preacher laying hands on them. They're so deceived. And it's hard to change them in a weekend or a week or two. A missionary, you have to live where they are, and you have to start from scratch and hope you don't get shot. Because the spirit that rules in those countries is a strong spirit. They don't want to let go of those people. When you bring Christ and him crucified down there and you start talking about the power of the indwelling Christ, you stir up all these spirits. If you come and visit, take them some clothes and some food and stuff, which is good. It's a good thing to do because it's a loving thing to do, but they get used to that. They don't know much about what you're going to say, but they know you're going to be good to them and bring them things. They don't mind. But you start dealing with issues. You start dealing with doctrinal things. If you say something about Catholics... I told a nun one time, she came forward after the meeting was over. And she said something about, on the order of, <clears throat> you said something about Mary today and I didn't fully understand that. And would you say it again? I said, Luke eleven twenty eight. Somebody said, blessed is the womb that bore thee and the breast at which thou hast nursed. Jesus said in verse 28 of Luke 11, he said, yea, rather... Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus didn't fall for that my mother stuff. Now, who's my mother? Who's my brother? It's those who obey the word of God. That's my family. And she said, I never heard that. Now, she wasn't a young lady. Or one time up in eastern Ohio at a big lodge, had a meeting there. I was the last day speaker, Sunday speaker, and... My buddy Sonny, I told this story before, Sonny came and he sat over here and he sat beside a Catholic nun. 
And I said, turn to James 5. Now, how many of you know that James 5 is pretty easy to find? Right after Job. Or where, but anyway, <laughs> turn to James chapter 5. And she was sitting beside Sonny. She carried her old ragged-looking Bible in, and, and she sat there, and this is what she did. And Sonny looked over after everybody found it, and he said, you want me to help you? And she said, I would appreciate it. She said, I don't know that much about the Bible. I'm thinking, you're a grandmother, or you could have been, old as you are. And you mean you spent all these years in that system, a system of man that has turned you away from devotion to God, and you now have devotion to a system. There's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end, it's a way of death. Do we just say at the end, well, she meant, well, come on into heaven. That's not what it says. God must be righteous in his judgment. He must be. But you have all of these various kinds of unique spirits. I remember in Indianapolis once, a prophetess from Mississippi Bessie was her name, I think. The letter, I think, had Bessie on it. She came up to me, and she said, Brother Hamilton, the Lord sent me here. And when they say that, I'm thinking, right. Now, I know the Lord could, but I'm thinking, right. And she said, I'm a prophetess. Now, she didn't do her eyes like that. I'm trying to do that for emphasis. And she said, the Lord has a word for you. Well, that's interesting. And I said, Okay. And she said, I don't want to do it here. Uh, can we go to your room? I want to give you a word from God. Right. I said, no, ma'am, we can't. But if you want to stick around, you can tell me right now. No, the Lord told me to go to your room with you. I not think so. Now, Miss Bessie was pretty upset over that. And she wrote back a letter somewhere that she wasn't happy at all with what's going to happen to me. You know, she was mad. It's a spirit, a religious spirit. Recognize me. Seek me out. Let me turn to me for help and for a word from God. Don't go to God. Go to the priest. Go to me. Go to that preacher. Go here. Go anywhere but God. Because everybody's got your answers but God. That's what the devil says. Don't go to God. Go to somebody. And she wanted to do that. Another lady one time wanted to wash my feet. I thought, well, I, you know, I'm all for foot washing. But uh, I, I, uh, um, I, I, uh, I, I, you know, and in so many words, I said no. And she didn't like that either. Well, don't we believe in it? Yeah, we do. I do. Um, I just believe it's, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice to this lady. I don't know how far along she was, and I didn't want to throw her over the hill. But there's also those in the church with religious spirits always correcting each other, always finding faults with everybody, always singling somebody out to visit them all the time, call them all the time, Talk to them about this. you got to see this and correcting people and things of that sort. Or there's those in the church who are competitive that are trying to out-quote, out-do, out-deep everybody, out-narrow everybody. I mean, it's like a game we're playing. It's a spirit. 
It causes division. We're not trying to seek the kingdom. We're just trying to outdo somebody. That's not God. God doesn't do that. Or the scholarly person who lets you know how much he's read and how much she or he has studied and how much of the languages they know and I've read and I know and then they can start talking about the intertestamental period and about the Maccabeans and, all, and they can go in there and you think, what are you talking about? Don't you know such things as this? I even heard one of those was reported to have said, there's nowhere I can go to church. I know too much. God, you should have made him dumb and ignorant so he could go to church and be a useful part in your kingdom because he sure isn't now. And I have my doubts that he ever will be because there's a spirit when it takes over, it gets a little grip and it keeps going. And the little bit you thought you had, you begin to phase it out of your life. You found a new way of living, but it's not a right way. You begin to do things that you shouldn't do. Or one I've had to deal with in my life, the spiritual wife, the super spiritual wife whose poor husband. I remember a lady back in Charlestown. I can't remember her name. I can see her face. And I remember one night her husband finally came to church with her. She was always yapping to him about how unspiritual and how demonic he was. I don't know why he took it, but... One night he came with her to church and any testimonies? I just want to thank God tonight that my husband so-and-so is here and maybe God will save him tonight because the Lord knows he needs it and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, shut up. But that's not a nice way to talk. I said, be still. Finally, after it was over, we did get her aside. One of the brothers did and we talked to her and said, you don't do that. That's not a woman's role to save her husband. That's the role of Jesus. A woman's role is to submit to him and honor him. And you dishonored your man tonight. You know, and here comes the, everybody's against me. No, no, you're against God. That's the problem. You're opposing God. What am I supposed to do? Leave him alone. Just live the life. If any man have a husband that does not obey the word, let them be one, not by a woman hollering at him, but by the chaste conversation and manner of his life as she lives her life before him. Her newfound convictions doesn't make her more loving, doesn't make her a worse cook. I can't cook tonight, I'm going to church. No, that's not the way it works. That's not the way this works. This is too much to get into, but a lot of men could be the kind of man that they could be if a woman would let them and encourage them. And a lot of women could have that wonderful feminine thing come out of them that men need if a man would only recognize it. We get away from things. We just watch the world do things and see other people do things, take each other for granted. That's demonic. It really is. Then we've had movements full of religious spirits, barking, laughing in the middle of church at nothing except, <laughs> this is the moving of the Lord. In the middle of a sermon that you're trying to win people to Christ or inform people the truth and somebody starts hysterical laughter or barking or howling. And then the preacher said, this is the watchman. This is the watchman. 
This is a watchman's spirit. Another woman, I saw this on a video up on the stage. She just holding her belly and heaving like that. And two women were around her. These were women helping her give birth spiritually. And she was going to all these, oh, because she was going to give birth. I don't know to what, but it was some kind of spiritual thing. Well, see, we laugh because how would you not laugh? You go forward and you start twisting. Your body goes this way and that way. And they say, this is the Lord. How? In what way is that the Spirit of God? All it does is draw attention to a person. Draw attention to somebody's laughter or somebody's foolishness. How can you say that's God? This is God's new thing. It's not God's new thing. That's just a show in the flesh. And people bought that because they were tired of their old dead church and they weren't getting anything out of it. And they found something crazy, exciting, and new. And big names were doing it. Oh, man. Then there's a tattoo man. You know, there's a big healing campaign in Florida. And this guy would holler, bam, or whatever they holler. And people would fall down. They go, ha, 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 it's so funny. What about that is God? Can you imagine Jesus going out and hitting people and everybody? <laughs> it's not the way it works. It's a spiritual matter to be sure. But what you're seeing is a perversion of something that's right. Then the prophetic movement comes along. And then they tell us in this prophetic movement that unless you have a prophet over your church, your church is not scriptural. And then the apostolic movement came lesser than the prophetic but the apostolic people say, unless you have an apostle fathering your church, your church is not under divine order. An apostle, man-made, self-made, a claim to be an apostle, should have the right to come in and do things his way, and we're supposed to submit to that. All I'd ask him is, who said you're an apostle? How did you get to be one? In the New Testament, they had to see Jesus. Have you seen him? I don't know if anybody's seen him since then. Maybe there aren't any. Maybe they had their usefulness when they were here. You know, the foundation of the church, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the chief cornerstone being Jesus. I don't know. I've never seen one. I've seen those who said they were. I had a prophet come to me at the seminar down in Knoxville once to tell me about I was really wrong on divorce and remarriage. And I thought, I'm going to find out what his stand is. And he finally came around and said, you know, you've got to forgive people. I got you. I know where you are now. You can be married 55 times if you want to, as long as you say, I'm sorry. After you get rid of it, well, I'm sorry, honey. It ain't going to work. I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. Come here, honey. And you get you another one. You marry her. Nah. I'm sorry, Lord. Come here, babe. Come here. I'm sorry, Lord. Now, I did overdo that because I know there's a more intense repentance and all that. I heard a man tell his daughter once when her marriage, her first marriage didn't work. He said, honey, just repent and go get you another. And I heard that in my own ears. Repent and go get you another. I think he's had five or six maybe himself. These are spirits. You don't need to be around people like that. You don't need to run with people like that. You don't need to be in association with people like that. Be nice and kind. Hello, yes, fine, good, doing good, thank you. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. 
These are spirits. They're allowed to do that in most any church they go to because churches make no distinctions between right and wrong. That was God's claim in Ezekiel 22. He said, my priests have done violence to my law. They don't want to be doctrinal, so they just let things go, and they haven't pointed out the difference between the clean and the unclean, and you can't do that without this book. And God said, now I have to judge a whole bunch. If I can find one man to stand in the gap to spare them all, I'll spare them. But he couldn't find one. Oh, we're living in that day. Deuteronomy 13 said, if there comes a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, first three verses, and he tells you something's going to happen, and it did happen, and then he begins teaching you and leads you away from where you've been taught, have nothing to do with him. God is testing you. Have the courage, have the nobility of spirit to withdraw yourself, even if you're by yourself and alone. Though none go with me, I will follow. Hope you have the courage to do that in your lifetime. Let me close with this, Acts 13. It's time to go. In Acts chapter 13, these are controlled spirits, but there's a verse here that describes what I'm talking about tonight. In its various ways that religious spirits operate, this is what it's usually about. A religious spirit is not only a divisive spirit, but it's a control spirit. If somebody thinks you're some really big shot somebody in the kingdom and everybody turns to you, that makes you feel like you're the one everybody needs. You can have control over people's lives. Acts chapter 13 and verse 9. Then Saul, this is about Elymas the sorcerer, who sought to turn away the deputy from the faith in verse 8. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost means there was a special endowment at that moment to do something specific and special, not be speaking in tongues again. Like the Old Testament, it was a coming upon them for a, a moment to supernaturally empower them to do something. And in the power of the Spirit, here's what it said. Filled with the Spirit, set his eyes on Elymas, and he said to him, O full of all subtlety or deceit and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease, and then these words, cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord. That is what religious spirits do. To pervert the right ways of God to bring to unthinking people a more socially acceptable gospel, more in touch with the age that we're in, less offensive to your neighbors and your friends, and making you feel good about the whole system. It's called comfort and happiness, and it's demonic. You're welcome. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we recognize tonight of our total need and dependence upon you for light and understanding that you would give us discernment as we walk in this life to see through things and what's behind things, the spirit that operates in things. And let us not get caught up in following something, but let us let things prove themselves to us. Let us ask the hard questions and take the hard stand if necessary. God, help us to be courageous to stand in the light that you give us. Continue to open our eyes, Lord, that we might behold wondrous things from this law so that we might escape the snares of the devil in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, that I may walk in thy love. Guide my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, Lord, my God, with all of my heart. is to be 